Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Um, I'm recording. So what? So what? So what? Did you have a good Passover? Did you have a good Easter? Did you have a good birthday? I did saw you, you on Easter. Weekend? I saw you on my birthday. I oh, saw yeah. you all weekend. That was the same day. That I was did... a long day. That was a long day. Uh, I, you know, I had a blast. I, I tested negative on Saturday and I went out that night to dancing good with Justine you. and I had so much fun. I had celebrated that night, was hungover, went to the park on Saturday I thought it was a really good group of people on Saturday, on Sunday at the park. Yeah, it was really fun. I thought it was really nice. I thought the weather would be much colder, but it was actually pretty nice. It was a little chilly, but like manageable. Went to bed and I woke up and it was my birthday and I was hungover. And then I came over that night hungover, but with and then we made tuna noodle casserole that was delicious. Don't say we made. That's not fair. Sorry. Adam made it. Adam told me what vegetables to purchase for our salad, and it was a delicious salad. Adam made the best food for your birthday. I loved that meal. It was so good. He is such a good cook. He's a really good cook, and I just loved the company, too. Really. Oh, well, what's not to love? The best. They're the best down there. Adam and Spencer are just so wonderful. We had delicious wine. And then I went home and then I worked all day yesterday and I'm here today and it feels good. And I, 33 is coming out roses right now. I feel great. I was really happy to wake up today and not be hungover. I'm going to tell you that. That's what it sounds like. Do you realize you were just listing your days as I woke up hungover? I woke up hungover. Yeah, no, I, woke I know. Up and it, and I want to be very clear. It felt like that too. Like I, that is. Not into it. No, I have no. I have to decidedly say I'm not into it. I'm not either. I really am not either. But you know, tonight is a work party. So <laughs> tomorrow going to wake up hungover. Jeez, this is too much. This is more than I, I... Listen, I took a week off for COVID and I'm coming back hot. Yeah, okay. That makes more sense now that I think about it. And also it was like, I didn't mean to have three birthdays. We joked about me having three birthdays. You really, did mean... What the fuck are you talking about? You didn't mean to have three birthdays. You have been meaning to have three birthdays for over a month. That has been the plan. 100% intention and plan. You're not wrong. Listen, Don't Quinn, act like that happened by accident. It didn't happen by accident, but it all made sense. <laughs> Because of the 33 theme. Because 33, 33 and Jesus three birthdays, and three days three. resurrected. Mm, it's a whole mm, thing. Mm. But no, but it was really fun. It was good because it was like I had, you were at, you were the, you, I will say you attended two and that was more than anyone else attended. 
really? besides me who attended because you live in this house. And I was like, I need someone to eat dinner with me. I need someone. And you were I, like, I, like I, the, I attended because I live in this house. Like, and I needed to come acting here. like I crashed. No, you a didn't. Dinner you were that actually happened a, in my home. No, Quinn didn't crash. She was the <laughs> helper. She was. She helped me plan it. Cupcakes. She planned it. I she made, made very delicious cupcakes. They, I thought I would show you how much I love you it through the density of the and cake. And I felt with, it because it was I thick. It was. It was. She was dense. But I will say out of the three parties, you were the one that attended the most except for me. Because I attended all three. You attended oh, two. you made it to all three. That's great. I did. I made yep. it to all three. I'd like to have a party one year that I don't make it to. Like oh, everyone fun. celebrates my birthday, but I'm just home watching They call movie. it a funeral. Oh. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> That is the one party that you don't attend, really, for you, is your funeral. I'm turning 40 this year. Ah. So it's at your funeral. Are you going to do a funeral theme? Yeah, funeral theme. (laughs) I also, on my birthday, I I bought tickets to go to South Korea. Are you excited? I'm so excited. I'm going with one of my best friends who I've known. going to be really good. Katie, my best friend from home. Never heard you say her name. I have told you about her so many times. <laughs> I black out whenever you do. She's my friend. I don't believe in her. She's my friend. Well, I have, okay, again, I have best friends from home. There's a group of five of us mm-hmm. that have known each other since we were born, three, five, and ten. That's how old we were when we met, and we've still been dear friends. Like, Leslie, so I've been a ten-year-old her... liked hanging out with little kids? <laughs> That was her thing. She's ten too. She's the same age as me. Oh, that's the age you met. <laughs> I thought it was we a baby, all... a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a ten-year-old all <laughs> hanging out. And I was like, "What is? I don't mean to like state the obvious, but what is wrong with the ten-year-old?" No, like that's how long I've known these people. I understand now. You have your closies. These are my fam. Like this is mm-hmm. family. Yeah, I do know they have or bimbibop. Bibimbop. Is that what it's called? Bibimbap? Mm-hmm. Love bibimbap. Just throw an egg on it. Classic. Classic. A little Korean barbecue. Oh. Come on. For fucking get about it. Look out the window. How's my lawn doing? Growing? Your neighbor's lawn looks good. Is I don't it know about yours. Hold on. Is it? Ow. <laughs> wow. Not great. Okay. So you tilled this the other day I was talking to you on the phone and you were tilling soil. Tell me more about that. I got one. I got a tiller and I tilled. Is it because it aerates it, right? Uh And it doesn't poke holes or does it take the dirt out? No, I got the kind that is like a weapon. Like it looks like a million spiky blades that roll in a circle. It looks like a thing out of the movie seven. Totally. Really scary. I did that and reseeded again. And I don't know what to tell you. Um, Are you getting enough? This is hard. This Trying to get this grass to grow is way harder than I thought it was going to be. And when we moved in, there were like two older people living here and the lawn was beautiful. And I don't know what we did. Like we did something. We fucked it up. And now. Here's my question. Okay. Here's my question. How much are you watering it? Every day. You might need to do twice a day. What? I think you have to water a lot. My brother just grew grass on his lawn. If you want, I can. My parents would be happy to give advice. My mom's good at lawn stuff. I thought it was every day. That seems like a lot. Every day, I'm gonna do it twice a day. Holy fuck! Well, or you get my dad who puts sprinkler system in a hose divider and has like timed. 
and like really goes for it. I don't think we can do all that. That's like an underground project. That's where I draw the line. No underground. A sprinkler system? He developed what he like, he, while my brother was, my brother has like half an acre of land, of lawn that he had to grow. Stressful. Very stressful. So they didn't do a water system. So my dad like took a hose splitter and like put timers on it outside. Oh, fuck. I wish he would just come do it for me. I'm so anxious. I know. I feel like, listen, I'll call my parents. Yeah, just get them over here. Get, get them, them over, over here. here. My- I'm watching Severance. Did you watch it? Not yet. Oh, season finale was last night. Was it so in good? In this house. And we lost our minds. It's really good. And it's very infuriating in that it was one of those season finales where you Google right away and you're like, when are you going to keep me going on this when's the next app and what do they say and they're like maybe in 2023 and i like threw my computer across the room and broke yeah it. maybe i shouldn't commit to it until wait till the second season's out maybe because i have to say that i am very troubled by the amount of cliffhanger vibes i feel and the mm. fact that they will not resolve mm. for another year someone like me with anxiety problems i don't know if that i don't need that in my life which is actually rude because you did a cliffhanger last week Oh, you're so right. A taste of my own medicine, I suppose. <laughs> Do I look backlit the fuck right now? You look like an angel sent from heaven. Especially because of my sky. hair. Yeah. Your hair is also doing that thing, though, where you, it looks like you have like a million baby hairs. But like kind of cute? Kind of cute, kind of dirty. It is dirty. Well, you look kind of dirty. I did shower. It was a minute. Speaking of which, I have to tell you about Saturday night. I have to tell you. I already told you, but I have to tell our dear readers. I was dancing my heart out and a friend of mine was there and was like, it's her birthday to a bunch of guys who are coming from a wedding because that's what this is. This place is like from midnight to 3.30 in the morning. It's a dance party. So sometimes on Saturday nights, it'll get like holdover from weddings which is fun sometimes we've seen like a bride come and dance at midnight which is very fun the mother of the bride the father like it's very fun that's great so we're there and this guy shows up and um he's like here it's your birthday want a drink and who am i to turn down a free anything and the answer is i'm no one special i'll do it every time so i get some tequila from him and i immediately i'm like well what do you do because like he's not asking me any questions about myself because why would he why would you be interested in the personality of someone you're trying to talk to? Weird. What he sees in front of him, that answers all his questions. It answers any questions he may have. So I'm like, what do you do? He's like, I work for innovation. And I said, oh. Is that the name of the company? No. Or? He's like, oh, it's just the department in the company. I go, what do you do? He's like, well, you know what I do is I find the easy job in a corporation and it's a fluff job, not to be confused with a fluffer. It's a fluff job where I just find somewhere easy and I just make money. And I'm telling you, I've never been more turned off in my entire life. Like you're talking to someone, i.e. me, and I will include Quinn, who are like hustling, yeah, making no money, but we're doing it because we love it and we care. For the love of the game. Our goal is to like keep doing fun stuff, like having a... Make shit, make shit, make make shit. shit that makes us happy, that fulfills us, that feeds us, like... All that stuff is totally our goal. This guy is like, my goal in life is to be able to take vacation days without asking anyone. And well, I can't, we have like, that. And I'm like, so girl, I have that. I have that. Girl, we're there. And the other thing, what's so funny is I was like, 
so innovation, what do you do? And he's like, you know, I manage three people. And I go, okay, what do they do? He's like, well, he couldn't answer. I go, what does a day look like? He's like, emails. Like he, I go, so do you invest in companies? Do you help like innovation? To me, I'm inclined to believe it's someone who is helping innovator? develop. What are some sin? I almost got out my fucking thesaurus and I was like, is this what you do? Is this what you do? And all of it was like, I you spent managed. a lot of time. Was it worth the shot of tequila? Like, this seems like a lot of time to invest. It was in- worth it because it was like, wow, this is so clearly what I don't want. And also, it was so clearly like, wow, these are the people that exist. And I feel nothing. And it's not something I want. But I also, I think it's, I actually am fascinated that someone is like, I work in innovation. And I, so what I told him, as I said, that's really cool. As long as you just fight for everybody paying their fair share in taxes. And then I left. (laughs) Because I was like, this is the fucking guy who doesn't work hard, but is going to fight for paying as little taxes as possible and benefit from a system that he can donate money to and like affect, you know what I mean? Like. That's this guy. He just wants to be lazy, but I'm sure he's calling everyone else lazy. Like, I know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. And it was so infuriating just because on my personal level, I'm like, I work really fucking hard to make very little money. Yeah, again, it doesn't sound like it was worth a shot of tequila, Carrie. Was it worth it for you telling me that story? Buy your own tequila is what the moral of the story is. Don't talk to douchebags and buy your own tequila. If someone says they're an innovator, what walk if he was, away quickly. He told me that after the tequila shot. I, he had bought it for me, and then I asked him. And then he did Next ask, time somebody says, can I buy you a shot? Say, what do you do for a living? That's a lot. What I will say <laughs> no, is... what do you do for a living? What, are you an innovator? <laughs> can I buy you a shot? Are you an innovator? No. Cool. Let's go. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Let's do this thing. Let's go. <laughs> What do you think you're looking for if you had to list one thing? A uh, Patreon subscriber. <laughs> That's who you want to date? Let's thank him right now. It's, well, you well, might have Okay, to... but do you want to know what I'm looking for? In I don't want a list. I want a word. I want a buzzword. I, it's not an innovator, but uh. Can you pick it for me? No. What was, what would your answer be? I'm going to say giving, maybe generous. That's so hard. One word and you're married and you can't figure it out. So I don't know what to tell you. If you're making me, I want a person who is kind. I want a person who is entertaining. I'm not kidding. That's really important. That's important for me. It's important for the kids and it's important on the day to day. If I'm not entertained, I got to get the fuck out of here. You are Joaquin Phoenix and Gladiator. Are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> no, Matt is Joaquin Phoenix. And you are, wa- no, and you are, you're, yeah, you're Joaquin Phoenix. He's Russell Crowe. Yep. You're Joaquin Phoenix with the thumb up, thumb down vibe. And Matt's just like doing hula hoops, like climbing shit. Yep. Just do- amazing. What do I want? I think I need someone giving. I think so too. That's what I'm looking for. Are you out there? Are you giving? Is it you? Because are you a patron? Because we should thank you then. Speaking of giving, let's okay. thank our Patreon subscribers. Fine. Right. 
let's do it. How about we thank? Hey, do you want to say thank you? I have kind of a low grade headache. How about Sarah? Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. What's her last name? Do I know her personally? Don't know her. Sarah, Sarah oh, Sarah, oh, oh Sarah. Calling uh, Sarah, uh, uh, oh, uh, oh. Uh, the unadulterated eye contact you give me every time you sing is extraordinary extra ordinary you joined a patreon we tried to sing a beyonce song but it didn't work out because it's how dare you i think it worked out fine the good news is, is we will not be run risk of a patri- of a copyright issue. I don't think we're ever at that risk. I think <laughs> that the sounds that come out of our faces are not emblematic enough of anything that has made money that we could possibly be in trouble. Thank you, Sarah. What about Gina? How dare you not thank Gina? Gina. Gina. We love to see you. Gina, Gina, Bobina. Gina, Gina. Gina, you join Patreon to support us, and we appreciate your face and your hands. And we don't mean that in a weird, weird way. way. We just love your whole self, mm-hmm. even your body, especially also your, your body. Definitely <laughs> your, your body. body. <laughs> We don't mean it in a weird way, but we love your body. Gina, your body. Gina, we love we love your body. But especially your body. Really double down on that. Triple down on that. Even. Well, the reason why I love your body, Gina, is because you had to use your body to include your credit card information for Patreon. <laughs> but Gina, we love your Body. Body. <laughs> I can't believe I'm still telling this story. It's a week later. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsors. Okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Going to hand jive. Oh, yeah. Go grease, lighten your burden up the floor. Uh, we can really get in trouble for that. No, we can't. We can't. For singing a song? No, you can't. Can you? I hope not. <laughs> guys when i left you last we were talking about con man and coercive abuser robert freegard freegard who he but what was the name he brought headley freegard hendy hendy robert hendy freegard we when we had last talked about robert if you haven't listened to an episode before this, like forget it. By the way, spoiler here. alert. Please leave. He sucks. Let's just move on. He's a con. Let me let me just do a two. Give me count thirty seconds on the clock. Three, two, one. Rob is a con man. He's like created this like web of people that he's taking advantage of. He's isolating from their family. He's doing this thing called the coercive abuse, where he's isolating people from their family and not letting them have friends. And he's asking them for all their money and resources. So he's basically outsourcing. He then becomes a car salesman where he's doing exactly what he's meant to do, which is sell used cars, but under the guise. He tells everyone he's an MI5, and so they all think that he's, like, basically helping them in the witness protection program. He's using the fears of the IRA to sort of feed on their, prey on their fears, and they owe him money for, quote, witness protection. You're at time. I got at time. It was 30 seconds. That was good. So, when last we left him, we found out that his recent presumed mark is a woman named Kimberly Adams, who has gone missing and her co-worker said last they heard 
she had a terminal illness. But we know... He's done that before. It's one of Robert's favorite games. The truth is, what happened was that Kim did go to the car garage and buy a car from Robert Freegard, and that's how they met. And in the beginning... They started to go out and Kim was like, this guy has some weird behaviors. Like he's a little weird. If and she's are... a psychologist, right? That's right. So she's someone who should be in tune or like should know about. They don't victim blame. Totally. No, I'm just saying that she he's has. a smooth more... operator. He's such a good con man that like she's someone who deals in mental health issues and she didn't see this coming. He doesn't tell her anything about that nonsense at first but when they go out he's weird like he's looking over his shoulder a lot he's weird if there's a camera involved um he uses multiple cell phones there's just a few things she clocks right away and so then later on when he says i'm actually a spy working undercover she's like oh that explains a lot of the behaviors i was seeing and he's kind of he amps it up this character study he's doing and he tells her i've done a murder She's like, wow, this guy's scary, but he's also sexy. He's scary, sexy, and I'm into it. And when he proposes to her, she says yes. Wait, I've done a murder. Wow. Mm -hmm. He admits to her that he's killed someone. Sure. Ooh, not on my list. When you ask me my list of things, I I want murderer is nowhere close. Put it in the innovator pile. Not an innovator. Not a murderer. murderer. Mm -hmm. In the summer of 2002... They're going to get married in Spain on a beach in Marbella. He gives her a fucking Cartier ring. And then they get back to London and they right away upgrade their life. They've got his and hers blue Sinks? and black Audis. Oh, you know, I'm he's a car for guy. Sinks. Yeah. No, no. He's a car guy. And he's like, my plan for us long term, we're going to live in a lighthouse so that we can monitor Russian submarines. Everyone's dream. Very romantic, right? Yeah. I don't know what you do if you live in a lighthouse. Like, every room is a circle or a half circle, a quarter circle or a semicircle. <laughs> I don't like that for furniture. I'm trying to think, like, how you set that up cute, and I can't picture it. So A lot of Ikea boxes and to assemble in the room, and then you can't get them out. Oh, my God. It's totally that vibe. It's a nightmare. It's not my dream. It is Kim's, I guess, because she's like, let's do this thing. And he's like, not only that, you also get to become a spy. But you have to undergo, as we know, a series Rigorous of tests training and tests, yes. To become a spy. And I'm going to need a lot of money from you for the tests, obviously. So she's giving him money. And he says to her, Kim, before you do these tests, you, you should probably tell me everything. Like, I mean, everything. Thing because the people working on this are going to be doing a deep dive into your background. And so anything they find out about you, I'm going to find out. And it would be better if I just already knew. So she's trying to think like, what can I tell this guy? And she's like, I don't know. Oh, ooh. okay. After we first, first started dating and we were not exclusive, I did sleep with an ex in that time period. Um, he's, as you can imagine fucking livid so he starts to be super controlling at that point moving forward and also is like i'm gonna kill your ex-boyfriend um he makes her flush a bunch of her medication down a toilet and he's just so controlling and abusive and bizarre behavior and he says to her parents 
she's really not doing well at this spy test stuff. So I'm going to need m money for her to take the test again. He also tells her work that she has AIDS and that she won't be coming back to work. And he moves her in with his mother. Wow. He threatens Kim's life all the time. He plays these crazy fucked up oh, mind games with her. Thing. He does things like they'll walk, be on a walk and they'll go to an edge of a cliff and he'll be like, are you scared I'm going to push you? He does a lot of that. Now that you said it, yeah. And she's away from her family in that her family lives, her parents live in Phoenix. Her stepdad won the lottery. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, to be clear, the state lottery, not the lo son-in-law lottery. The son-in-law lottery he really lost because... Rob is such a fucking dick. <laughs> um, they know already that he's an MI5 agent because Rob told them, Kim told them, whatever. He's the worst MI5 agent ever because here's the Everybody thing. Everybody knows. He tells literally everyone. <laughs> that should have been a red flag. Don't let this guy join Fight Club. He buys Kim a Rolex uh, at the beginning of their relationship. So the parents are like, this guy's well-to-do. Um, he's a man of wealth and class. He's going to be just fine. And he has an accent. Yeah, but like, it's like very Tinder swindler where it's like, you know, I have all this money. I'm taking on this, but I also, I need this money. Right. Okay. So at this point, remember that the police have been alerted and they're looking and they figure out the Kim connection. They can't find Kim because she said she had AIDS and beat it. They can't find her or Robert, but they can find her parents. So they find the parents in Phoenix and they're like, hey, is your daughter seeing this guy? And they're like, yeah, he's an MI5 agent. And they're like, here's the thing. He's definitely not He's that. most decidedly not. And they're like, oh, because they had totally bought it. And they were like, well, she calls us sometimes for money, which fucking tracks Which that scans um and they're like do you want to record our calls and they're like yes we do so at one point they call kim and she's not allowed to pick up her own phone anymore obviously robert picks up and he's like i'm really glad you guys called i'm gonna need 2200 pounds for her to retake this spy test that she failed because you guys i paid sixty-one thousand sterling for her to go to spy school. And that was all my money. But I love your daughter. And I really want her to go to spy school. So I'm investing in her. Now I need you to invest in her. Because she's not very good at these tests. And if you want her to take the test. You got to get me this money. And you got to get it to me fast. And they're like. Okay. We'll definitely bring you the money. They agree to meet in London at the airport. And can I just say, when I listened to the call of Rob telling them to bring him this money, it was the most obnoxious call I've ever heard because he was, you're listening to him do the con. Like you can hear him doing the con and how he speaks to people. And at one point when they've agreed to give him the money and they're going to meet at the airport, he's like, and when I see you, can I just give you a hug? Would that be weird? Or can I just, can I hug you? And you're like, fuck you like this fucking monster being like can i can i give you a hug so what made you infuriated and what his sort of thing is he tries to like he's he's just schmoozing with them like you see him yeah he says like things have been so traumatic and i would just feel so good to hug you it's like part of the lie it's part of the game it's him being like Ugh. to the parents 
trying to be the guy, the son-in-law that they like and be like, oh God, can you believe how stressful this has all been? Her having to test for spy school. Can I just give you a hug when I see you? What a nightmare, am I right? It's like we're in this together vibes. And I just, it made me hate him. Even more. Even more. So they're going to go to the airport. The cops are obviously in on the plan and okay. telling the mom, Anne, here's how we're going to do this. She's super nervous. She's this woman from Phoenix that's like going to go to the airport, need a fake MI5 agent to give him a suitcase of cash. And her. she hasn't seen her daughter, you know, since her daughter vanished with him. It's a high stakes, really sad, really scary situation, I think. There's like a dozen cops flanking her when they go to the airport to meet him. And they meet inside the airport. They start to walk to the parking lot. She hasn't seen Kim. It's just Kim's mom, Anne, meeting Robert. When they get to the parking lot and they start to approach a car, the cops now have eyes on the car and see a woman in the car they believe to be Kim. And that is when they call the shots and are like, let's surround him. And they yell, you're under arrest. And everyone's surprised. They grab Kim and extract her from the scene immediately. They make sure Anne is safe. They put Rob in handcuffs. Who's calling out like, I love you, Kim, playing up his fucking whatever spy character. But when they ask him questions, he just keeps saying no comment to every single thing they ask him and he won't tell them where Sarah is. He sounds like a fucking monster. They go to a place that they've tracked his activities to and start looking through his stuff and they find a scrap of paper with a number and a hotel key for a hotel in the French Alps. They go to the fucking hotel. It's like a scavenger hunt, this thing. And there's designer watches, there's fancy shoes and luggage. There's all these different passports of people, driver's license, credit cards, belonging to all these people because in the name of him controlling all these women, he basically holds their entire identities, right? Because he asks for all these documents. So when they go there, it's like the pile of passports is the representation. Of how many people he's gotten. And who is currently under his thumb, his victims. But who knows where any of them are, you know? They see documentation related to Renata Kister. And they find also a piece of paper that says Ronnie on it and has a phone number. So they're like, I think this is her. So they call and they ask about him. She's the first doesn't want to talk, but they end up figuring out that she met him in 2000 in that car showroom. And of course, she believes him to be a spy. She does tell them that she's been safe harboring someone. Sarah. Yes. Guess what she says her name is. What? Carrie. Spelled my way? No I don't know. Way. I don't know. I don't know if it's spelled your way. I, I think I learned that from the documentary, so I only heard it. But they were like, yes, there's this woman, Carrie. And she doesn't speak much English. Right. Wait, hold on. Let me cross my legs. And she's like, well, I have a picture of her. And they send a picture, and they're looking at the picture, and they're like, this could be Sarah. They don't know, right? Like, he hasn't told them anything. But they look at the picture, and they're like, this could be her. They get to the house, and when she opens the door... The first thing they say is, hello, Sarah. And she's like, she has not been called Sarah in years. 
by anyone. <sighs> they tell her everything. No. So imagine that her whole life just like crumbled. It's like it's a ha- it's so happy sad because they she can finally her. start to like heal, but like she sees her whole like the last ten years, eleven years. How long has she been there? She realizes in a moment. In a matter of minutes that she gave up her whole path in life, her schooling, her job, her family, her friends, her personality. She gave oh, up everything for this and it was all made of nothing. Smoke and mirrors. The whole fucking thing. She's oh, Jesus. If she wasn't already hammered into a place of non-existence, I would imagine this just sends her into a different traumatic wallowing that I just cannot even fathom. It reminded me a little bit of your like rape by the police officer who like rape by like deceit. What was it called? I forget what it was called, but it's the same idea of just like realizing in an instant that everything that your life is sort of built around the reality is non-existent. And it just to have that like all in one moment Vanish. That your mind would go back to so many places and you'd go, right. why didn't I see it then? Or why didn't I? And the amount of beating yourself up and feeling like you're to blame. Right. Because, again, it's an adult that made decisions. They were based on lies and being taken for, oh, here's the good news. Her family instantly rallies around her to her shock, to her shock. She says thought like they've given up on her and they rally around her. And well, they just like, need her because she wasn't hearing the truth. She couldn't like, they couldn't rally around her because she was stuck there. They didn't have the opportunity, but once they have her back, they're like, we're not letting you go. This is who you are. And we love you. And watching the documentary is so emotional because you're, she's in it talking a lot about oh, God. the feelings of, being demolished by this, but also being so grateful that her family did this and built right. her back up. Right. Obviously, they come to realize through these passports that there are other victims and that some of them he made homeless. He stole their money. He stole their dignity. He demolished them the way he did Sarah. There are victims that they don't find the way they found Sarah. So there are people out there right now even, that they have not recovered that are probably still under the assumption that he's the boss of them who have given up their lives. How is that possible? Because here's what ends up happening. In 2005, there's a trial. In the trial, he tries to blame John for what happened. His first victim. But they see right through him. The jury hates him. He's sentenced to life in prison. And the detective says, in 25 years as a detective, I've never come across such an accomplished liar. And he says that after the trial. Wow. They find Elizabeth, who was that woman that, remember, she was like waiting. At the train station? Mm-hmm. Where'd they find her? They find her in like a hovel, in like a shithole. She's got sores all over her and she's like ruined her life for him. She says of this happening, it still doesn't feel right. 
He got a roof over his head. He's got meals. He's got clean clothes. He's still got a better quality of life than I ever lived. I won't be happy till he's dead. So that was her reaction. The hurt that he administered on these people and what he took from them is so epic. Because even to like be free the way Sarah is, but to be like, not only did she lose like a decade, over a decade, but she... She lost all the things, the stepping stones you build when you're young. Right. And just to be a kid that way. Right. She was so young when this happened. Ugh. In 2007, he appeals and says, these were all adults and I didn't hold any of them Uh by chaining them, by locking them, by kidnapping them. They were free to go at any time. They were not unlawfully imprisoned. They were, it's this this fine line, right? Because we talked about this. They were psychologically (sighs) trapped by him, but not physically. And how does the court determine it? And what they're charging him with that's allowing them to put him away isn't being a fucking liar or taking them for money. It's kidnapping. That's like the big charge that allowed them to do the big sentence. He's released. Of course he is. He's released. Jesus. In 2012, a woman named Sandra falls under the spell of a man that she's dating. She has two children, Jake and Sophie. They could Google the guy, but the guy says his name is David. Fuck. Okay. So she starts dating David and these teenage kids are worried about their mom. Her behavior starts to get erratic. She starts to not be herself. Right. And they start to feel like he's driving a wedge between them and her. But they don't know what to do because, you know, she's divorced. She seems really happy. This new boyfriend, David, bought her a blue Audi. So she's super stoked. He's going to take them all to Spain. They go to Spain together and they're going to hotel after hotel. And one night they're driving in a car all night to to get somewhere. He's playing Duran Duran in the car over and over and over and over again. Ordinary world. It's a mood. They get to a passport check and David starts acting really weird where it's like he doesn't want them to see his passport. And they're like, Alarm bells. What's going on? Why is he being so weird? After the trip, he moves in with them and he's living at the house and he is constantly talking about how much he's going to be able to provide for them, that he's really wealthy. And the son is like, it's so weird because he genuinely seems unemployed. Like he's just, it doesn't feel like he's He's doing anything. Like what's, where's this guy getting his money? Sandra has a really good relationship with her ex, who's the father of these two kids but she cuts him out. She starts to cut her friends out. She's starting to distance herself from the kids. And she accuses her son of stealing. David calls the ex-husband and says, well, you know, your son is gay. There's all these weird sort of inner family mind games happening. Right? Yeah. Jake was really excited because his mom got him a new pair of shoes, but he wore through the heels really quickly. Mm -hmm. Once he wears through the heels, David's like, let me see the shoes. 
and adheres taps to them and gives them back to him. He's a teenager. So he now goes to school in the only pair of shoes he has, which have taps attached to them. It's like the weird, fucked up, psychological torture shit that only fucking maniacs like Rob would fucking think up. Their mom starts getting mad at them all the time and doing stuff like locking them out of the house. They keep locking Jake out of the house and he'd get there and they'd keep him outside all night. Again, beating him down through this psychological torture and driving him away. Sophie, the daughter, is really sad and really lonely because her brother's getting distanced from the house. Finally, he decides, fuck you. I'm out. I'm I'm out. I'm going to go live with dad. And now Sophie's there alone. He keeps saying to her, you don't ever want to speak to your dad again, do you? You don't ever want it, right? And like driving that uh, into her brain over and over again. Her life turns into, it reminds me of Sarah's. David takes her to work. And then he picks her up and brings her home and he takes her to work again. And he's taking the paychecks. He finds out she has savings and he just laughs at her and takes her to the bank and says, tell him you want to do your first payment on a car or something. Cause she's like a teenager. She gets it out of the bank, goes straight to him. Oh. One night he doesn't pick her up after work and she works at like a hair salon. She has to sleep on the floor. It's enough for her that she, she's not in love with this guy. Right. Her mom is right. So she's like, I'm not doing this. No. And she goes, and lives with her dad. And lives with her dad. So now both kids are gone. But Sandra's been left alone with David. With And this is probably what David wanted all along, right? Totally. In order totally. to get Sandra unencumbered by all this. But when oh they go God. back, they can't. They Their mom stops talking to them and then they can't find her. And they go to the house and she's not there anymore. The house is empty. Her and David are gone. One thing that was super creepy in the documentary mm-hmm. is they go to the house and there's a lock on the master bedroom door, but it's on the outside, put on the door, like you to, to lock someone in the room. And there's like newspapers all over the windows. Like it was sort of turned into like, reminded me of like a makeshift cage or something. And the way he was like putting people in safe houses and controlling them and not letting them have any contact with the outside world and beating them down. What happened now? They see also in the house all these bills stacked up on the counter and a court summons. So Sandra has let her bills, which she had formerly obviously been like a person that paid everything off. Right. She now has all this debt built up. They Google David Hendy con man and articles about Robert Freegard come up and they realize his past. Same guy the same fucking guy they image search him and they're like this is the same fucking bro they go to the police and they're like our mom is with a serial con man please help us you need to investigate her as a missing person and so it's now 2015 it's four years after david entered their lives and the police are able to arrange to meet her and they say to her the man you're with is a con man do you know that? And she says, I know exactly who he is and I want to be with him. We don't know what that means. We don't know at all what that means, but 
They, she has said to them, I want to be with this person. The police cannot make her leave. But what we do know is she's been asking friends for money. And that they've been cutting her off because of that. But like Peter went after his daughter, so too does Mark, the ex-husband, and Sophie and Jake go after their mom. They want to try to release her from being Rob's emotional hostage. They do their own research and they discover that it seems like what Rob's doing now, the con he's up to, is he's buying and selling show dogs. And they find a woman who'd gone in business with him who he says he was bringing these dogs back and forth from France and she has been sending money to Sandra Clifton's account for vet bills and for dogs she's buying. But she sent money over a period of years. Like you were looking at the amounts. It was so much money. It was like this vet bill, this dog that I bought. And you realize they have been conning her, right? And they conned her for a ton of money on this dog thing. When she found out she was being duped, she went to the police And Rob said to her, you be really careful because Sandra works for the police. And so anything you say to the police, she'll know. Same old tricks, right? Totally. Here's the thing. We saw Peter never give up. And he got Sarah back. Sophie and Jake have not seen their mother in over seven years. Okay. The Puppet Master, the show I watched, debuted January 2022 and so journalists were searching for sandra and rob he was living in a house in berkshire with these dogs and the Times said we went to him and he refused to make a statement but then he did an about face and was like actually i would love to tell you something and i want to tell you that i deny all these accusations and especially the accusations that sandra is like under my control and I feel like I'm that there's things I did in my past I'm not proud of, but I'm sick of being publicly castigated for them. And this is a mutual relationship and basically fuck off. And that is the latest on this unfolding situation. Her poor kids. Her poor kids. It's so sad. And they're so amazing that the, the strength and bravery they have and that they keep continuing to fight for her. But. I think what's so insane is that this person has been allowed to just go back into gen pop and continue propagating just like lies. The, the, and he has the ability to do this. Like, we've seen it. It's a Larry Ray situation, right, and it's totally right. going, this person cannot be allowed to walk around doing this well, to people. it's like you see cult leaders, right? Like, when I did the family in Australia, it's like, it's not for the cult activity that they're doing. It's for tax evasion. It's like, for all of this shit that they're doing, it's like, you can't get people on coercion in a lot of ways or coercive abuse. It's, so it's like hard. It's so tricky because everyone goes, well, you're an adult and somebody lied to you, but we can't put them in jail for lying to you. I mean, forget it. So I don't even know what I have to say, except that it makes me... It's sickening. It's sad and it's scary and we know that he's It's probably, so scary because like other thing it is, just it's feels not like only Sandra, I promise. It's well, how else is he getting all this money? It's not just there's no fucking way. Jesus. Okay. Um and now a word from our sponsors. Sure. 
We know you're here because you like listening to people tell stories. We have something super exciting to share with you. It is not a podcast. It is a musical novella called Love in Times of War. It's a beautiful story set to music. It is a 28-cut concept album with 14 spoken word narrations and 14 instrumentals that complement and evolve the story and you can listen to it on Spotify. You can listen to it on Apple Music. You can buy the album. It is written and narrated by Beck Norman. The music is composed by James Keith Norman. It's a story of a pregnant young woman who's lost her lover in a war, and she sets out to raise her child until history repeats itself. It's engaging. It's impactful. It's also featuring Stephen Fry, which is pretty darn cool. But please go listen to Love in Times of War. It's a beautiful story set to gorgeous music, and you won't regret it. When you listen to our podcast, do you sometimes find yourself clenching your jaw? Do me a favor. Give it like a nice relaxing massage the jaw right now. Like use this opportunity to do so because I know when I'm stressed, I clamp my jaw and I've actually had lock jaw where like Mm -hmm. it's locked and it's the scariest thing. And so I'm really excited to be promoting this company, Smile Brilliant, where they help with night guards. Matt and Koa both grind their teeth. It wakes me up when I sleep with them. And it doesn't just wake me up because it's loud. It wakes me up because I'm stressed out that they're damaging their teeth. So if you grind your teeth or you clench them, you're doing damage to the enamel. You're inviting infections and cavities. Did you know teeth do not regrow? So after you grind through a part of them, like that's it. That's that's all the teeth you get, friend. So let's just get it taken care of today. It's a no-brainer. Go to smilebrilliant.com right this minute. Use the code TDC for 20% off. And you know what? Sweet dreams. We're back. Okay, it's my turn. I got this information from Wikipedia, Criminal Genealogy, Crime Museum, all that's interesting. This is the story of Christine Collins and her son. She's born 1888. I only say that to give you sort of like a vibe of like, what's the picture? What's the style? What's the fashion? Mm-hmm. Got it, got it. Late 1800s. I'm giving you old, old cases today. Mm-hmm. Didn't intend to, but let's go. She marries Walter J. Collins, who's formerly Walter Joseph Anson. Um, he has another name, but he hid it because he's an ex-convict. Her ex-husband, her husband's vibe is like going to street conductors, robbing them, taking money or anything else valuable. He gets caught. He goes to jail. He comes out. He meets her. New name. They have a son together named Walter, Walter Collins, in 1918. Her husband gets put back in jail, in prison for robbery and theft. So he's in jail. Walter is nine going on 10. It's March 1928. Little Walter wants to go to the movies. So she gives him a dime to go to the picture show, but he never comes home. It becomes a massive story. There's people that are saying, of course, like, and I think it's rare that in 1918, something like this was such a huge story. This is, they're in Los Angeles, by the way, if I didn't make that clear. The LAPD follows hundreds of leads and have nothing to show for it. They think maybe it's former inmates of Walter Sr., his father, 
his dad worked in the mess hall um, and at the cafeteria. So he reported a lot of infractions. So he made a lot of enemies. So they were kind of going down that path. Of course, because it's national news, they get a lot of reports of eyewitnesses. There's a gas station attendant who says he saw a young boy in newspaper in the back of a car at the gas station and we trailed him. He ended up losing them. There's tips of a couple traveling with a boy and the boy is begging them to let, begging people to let him go. So they're following all these leads and it's not leading to anything. The police are getting such bad press and the public interest increases pressure on them to solve the case. Five months after Walter's disappearance, they pick up a little boy from DeKalb, Illinois. And he's like, I'm Walter. It's me. I'm the kid. So they send letters and photos to Christine, his mother, who's Mm -hmm. absolutely distraught. And she's like, ah, and she pays money to bring him to Los Angeles. He gets to L.A. They they unite. I want to say reunite, but they don't because she's like, this isn't my fucking kid. Totally. Like, he looks similar, but, like, this is not my kid. And it's like, he's 10. You did the story of David. What was his name? Yeah, uh uh-huh. Totally. It's like, he's not, (laughs) five months have passed and he's 10 years old. Like, this kid is formed. Like, she knows who her fucking kid is. Yeah. The police are under so much pressure from the media to solve this case that they're like, listen, this guy, Captain J.J. Jones, he goes... Try the boy out. Take him home and see how it goes. <laughs> she's not just looking for a kid. She's looking for her, her kid. Her fucking kid. Her kid who's fucking missing. So, And you know what's terrible? Kids that are not your kid. <laughs> you know who I don't want to be surrounded by? You know who I don't well, want to hang she, out I mean, with? Think about, too. She's mourning her son. She's still trying to find him. They give this kid. They put pressure on her because they're getting all this pressure from the media. Just try him out. Try the boy out. Take him home. See how it fits. And she's like, uh, okay, 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 sure. I mean, she knows it's not him. She knows it's not him. So three weeks later, she comes back and she's like, listen, this isn't my son. She says things like, okay, this is a quote that I saw. My boy's eyes are big and round. My boy has the big ear of my family. My boy's hair is straight. My boy's teeth are far apart. My boy is as tall as me. My boy has had no operation. She comes back and she has... She has dental records. She has eyewitness statements. Mm-hmm. There's a handwriting expert that looked at her previous examples of her son's writing and this kid's handwriting. And the R's are weird. And they're like, oh, the R's that this new kid is doing is proof that he was taught school in Illinois. This is how they taught school. And they taught how kids to write mm-hmm. R's. So she comes back with all this evidence, which it sounds like they forced her to take this kid. And she's like, I have to go back and tell him it's not my kid. I have to come up with all this evidence to which she does. Then Jones, the captain, accuses her of being a bad mother and intentionally embarrassing the police. Mm. He says, what are you trying to do? Make fools out of us all? Or are you trying to shirk your duty as a mother and have the state provide for your son? You are the most cruel-hearted woman I've ever known. You are a fool. Geesh. It gets worse, Quinn. He then commits her to a psychiatric ward. What? This is gaslighting on a level that I have never even heard of. In fact, he gets her in there by using Code 12, the Code 12 internment. Ah, the old Code 12. This is a code used to describe someone who is difficult or an inconvenience. 
Oh my God. What the fuck? Now, I want to be very clear. This woman's son is still missing. Her beloved son is gone. She has no idea where he is. And then she's put in a psych ward. So, of course, you know, she can't take the kids. She's in fucking jail. Her husband's in fucking prison. So they start to interview this kid. And the kid cracks. He's like, I'm not Walter. I'm a 12-year-old. I'm Arthur Hitchens Jr. I ran away from Iowa. So when he first got caught in DeKalb, Illinois, he didn't admit to being Walter right away at all. At first, he was like, my father abandoned me. And then it was later that he was like, you know, actually, no, I'm Walter. He thought by saying that he was Walter, he could go to Hollywood to meet his favorite cowboy movie star, um, Tom Mix. Okay, he's 12. That, he's 12. That line of reasoning what, tracks for a 12-year-old. What Arthur's story is, is that when he was a kid, his mom died, and he had to move in with his father, his shitty father and his malicious stepmom, and he ran away. He's like, fuck this, I don't want to be here. He worked odd jobs. He worked at a diner, and while he was at the diner, because this story was national news, he overheard it, and he saw sort of a likeness between him and Walter, and he was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is a possible sort of like get out of jail free card. Mm-hmm. So this happens. He admits that it's not him. It takes them 10 days to release Christine from the psychiatric ward after they know this is not her fucking kid. Mm-hmm. She sues the police department, specifically J.J. Jones, and she's awarded $10,800. She's never paid that. She's never paid that. At the same time, in 1928, around when Walter went missing, two boys, Nelson and Louis Winslow, aged 10 and 12, they went missing while on their way home. And their parents started receiving strange letters from them that they were, like, heading to Mexico. They planned to stay missing as long as they could so they could become famous. This happened around in Los Angeles, around in California, and the police did not connect these cases. They also found a headless body of a boy that they also did not connect to those right. cases. Then they heard a neighbor saying that their neighbor who had a poultry farm was mistreating a little boy, but they didn't think that was relevant to their case. So then the U.S. authorities get a tip from a Canadian woman, and she's like, my nephew kidnapped my son and is holding him in California. And another relative said, that her brother was being abused by his uncle, this guy Gordon Stewart Northcott. And she went to visit, and she said he was abusing him, and that something very strange was happening. This is known as the Wineville Chicken Coop murders, where basically this guy Gordon Stewart Northcott was found guilty eventually of abducting, molesting, and killing three young boys. What's of note is that Walter is not a part of this case. But we is know the question should have been. We don't know. Oh, shit. That's the thing. Okay. But it's 1929 as he's convicted or he's found guilty of this. Now, they brought him to trial for the three murders, but mm-hmm. it could have been as high as 20. We just don't know. But again, what's so crazy, it's these same boys around the same age are going missing and the police are not connecting these two. Mm-hmm. We have no forensic evidence that supports that Walter Collins was in on this farm. We have some testimony from this guy, Gordon, the really bad guy, Gordon Northcott. We have testimony from his mother who apparently helped him. And she says that she killed Walter. 
She immediately got life in prison, but never went to trial. So that trial never went and saw the light of day because there's no forensic evidence. And then she rescinded that admission, that confession. Wow. It's really strange and a little confusing. And I know, so please bear with me. He was only tried for the three murders, the headless boy and the two brothers. And what was noteworthy is that there was forensic evidence to connect him and those boys to his house. Like there was a library book from the the brothers at his home to show that he was the one that abducted them and then wrote letters, their Boy Scout badges and a whistle. So like there was some evidence to say that he had of Nelson and Lewis Winslow, but there was no evidence at his farm to connect him to Walter Collins. Mm -hmm. What he would do is he would bury their bodies and put quicklime in. So there's no forensic evidence and it's 1928. So there's no DNA. There's no way to sort of test whose bones belong to who, but they found young child bones in his backyard. So like I said, he was eventually found guilty for murder for the three boys and he's sentenced to death. But he has always denied his involvement of Walter Collins. His mother, again, like I said, rescinded her confession. But even with that, there were a lot of inconsistencies with the case, with her side of the story. Right before Gordon's execution in 1930, Christine got permission to interview him right before he was put to death to get the true account of her son's murder. And it was agreed to by Gordon. But on the last minute, he recanted and professed his innocence. Five years after his execution, one of the other boys that he was accused of killing was found alive and well. (gasps) I, to be honest, I do not know if it's one of the three boys in his trial mm-hmm. or if it's another one of the boys that like amongst okay. like the big group of people that he might have killed, but they were found alive. And this has been enough information where Christine Collins has been given so much hope that she spends the rest of her life trying to find yeah, her son, Walter of course, Collins. Of course. Her husband dies while he's in prison in 1932. But she spends her whole life searching for Walter. She tries to get the money that she's owed to by the LAPD, by J.J. Jones, but she never gets it. She keeps bringing him back to trial to see if he can, to like increase the amount for interest paid. But she never sees that money. He says he's broke, even though he works for the police department. She dies in 1964, having never found her son. And we don't know what happened to Walter Collins. Oh, I hate it. The movie Changeling is about this case. Oh, no shit. Yes. And Angelina Jolie plays Christine Collins. And she got an Academy Award nomination for the Best Actress for this role. That's the story of Christine Collins. Wow, what a story. I can't believe how little we know. Yeah. Buzzkill. I know it's so little. I think the other thing, too, is like at that time, it's it's 1928. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like... What I was surprised at the amount of national news and attention this kidnapping got, you know, I mean, like I've covered the Lindenburg baby and that was because it was a famous pilot. But like this case getting so much news and yielding no results except a kid coming forward and saying he was her going to the psych ward and the police, the way they gaslit her is is just insanity to me. They should be in so much trouble for that. I hope they got in big, fat trouble. I hope they had to go to the psych ward. 
No, they were charged ten thousand, and, and, and by the time by right. the time she got up to it, it was fifteen thousand wow. dollars because of the amount of interest, and they never paid her. And she was using all of her money and resources to find Walter Collins, and Blur. they never the police who didn't fuck all to help her. And it's interesting too. I mean, I will say there was a moment where like we see this in our cases all the time, right? Mm-hmm. We see the police. To me, it's like. This isn't an anomaly. This isn't a new thing, no. right? Like the police. This is in 1928 that it was corrupt. That it was nobody was falling through. And the and I was surprised at 1928 the amount of media pressure on the police too. This is always a, like the media and the police have always had a contentious relationship, mm-hmm. and the public and like the police. There's always been, and also just believing women. This is not my kid. Why don't you give him a fucking try? I mean, are you kidding me? Why don't you give him a fucking try? You give him a try, and then they called you her. Adopt him. And they called her a bad mother. Yeah, fuck you. Fuck you, JJ Jones. Go fuck yourself, you smug piece of shit. I'll tell you who a bad mother is. Sherry Papini. Sherry Papini. Fucking Sherry Papini. Wow, what a crazy story! And uh, look at the time I got a watermelon. <laughs> Just kidding. You do actually. No, but you're actually, not. I'm actually, not you're not. You're not kidding at all. I really do have to water my lawn. Um, thanks for tuning in, dear readers. We love you so much. Um, we, we appreciate you, you being endlessly. here. And uh, thanks to everybody who's. Uh... You know what I do, Quinn? I love our readers, like Sandra loves Rob. Wow, <laughs> very twisted. So you, I think you just inadvertently accused them of uh, holding you hostage. They do in a way. Yeah, it's not that they don't. Wait a minute. Maybe it's I love you as much as. (laughs) Don't, don't, don't get accusatory (laughs) with me. You do hold me hostage. To be truth, to be honest, to be thoughtful, to be to be honest with you. I don't know if hostage is the word you're looking for. Of course it's not the right word. No friend wants to be called a hostage. (laughs) I mean, I'm being a flippant. I'll help you water your lawn. Okay, thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.